Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and Department of Agriculture released new dietary guidelines for Americans last week. According to the guidelines, we should be eating less sugar and salt, saturated and trans fat, but lean red meat and eggs are okay. As usual, the response from many Americans was one of confusion. Remember, previous guidelines said eggs and red meat were out. So what gives? We're going to talk about those guidelines today with Hillary Gillette, who is a registered dietitian nutritionist with Capital Blue Cross. Ms. Gillette, welcome to the program. Thank you. And uh, just for those, I'm sure that you figured this out since uh, Capital Blue Cross is one of our uh, sponsors here on Smart Talk, one of our underwriters that you hear every day, but uh, just want to let you know that. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, one 800 729 Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, so what are th- what's the idea behind these guidelines? So the dietary guidelines are designed for um, mainly for medical professionals to be able to kind of look at what the overall American population is eating and how they can better um, train and um, give guidelines to the to patients to consumers about um, what they should be eating and how they can eliminate chronic disease in their lifestyles. Now, how closely do you in your profession follow these? I would say um, that on an average day, I kind of look at the kind of keep them in mind and um, make sure that I'm giving people those specific guidelines because especially these new ones that have just come out are very um, aligned with lifestyle changes rather than specific um, eat this, not that, eat this amount of, you know, say six ounces of grains. This has those um, recommendations in there, but it's more of a um, it's more on a scale, if that's, I guess, you, a way you could put it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, when you see lifestyle changes, what do you mean by that? So I think that um, everyone has room to grow with dietary changes, physical activity. Oh, we have room to grow. Exactly. So um, <laughs> this, the new guidelines are very good in the fact that they allow that room to grow. You know, some of the recommendations are following a healthy eat- eating pattern across the lifespan. So, you know... Everyone has room to grow. We can we can do that. We can make small changes. You know, maybe we already eat really well, but maybe we want to add more fruits and vegetables. Maybe we want to increase our exercise. So, you know, just giving people ideas for how they can make those goals for themselves and make small improvements that lead to larger improvements is something I do every day. Why do the the guidelines change, though? This is the eighth edition. Why do they change? Bodies don't change. Food, for the most part, doesn't change. Why do they change? So as new research comes out year after year, um, the advisory committee sits down, um, gets some public opinion in there, um, and they they take a look at the research and figure out, you know, what's what's new that we've that we've realized in the past five years. What, you know, have we done new studies on this specific nutrient? Have we done more studies on hydration? Have we done more studies on physical activity and make the changes based off of the new research that's coming out? So, yes, you're right. There's nothing that's changing about the food. Um, there's nothing that's changing about our bodies other than the fact that maybe with the food choices we're, we're picking, we are becoming less healthy. So these guidelines can kind of lead you towards that, you know, better lifestyle. But as you probably know, and uh, you, you told me that you read uh, an article that uh, criticized the new guidelines, yes. what happens sometimes is, well, 
sometimes, a lot of times, is it creates confusion mm -hmm. because uh, not only with uh, these guidelines, but uh, so often in the news, every day we hear something that we thought we were told that, that to avoid that we're now told that, oh, okay, that's okay. Red wine, I think of. You know, everyone thinks, okay, it's alcohol. It has to be bad. But now we hear, okay, glass of red wine, not that bad for your, for your heart. Um, but then there's other things, things that you thought were good, when it goes the opposite way. So this confusion, how do we, we allevi alleviate that confusion? I think, um, yes, there is a lot of nutrition and dietary information out there, especially because you see research articles and then you see, you know, more, you know, news-based articles that sometimes when that when those articles are coming out, pieces of the research are missed. So they might have a, a common denominator, yes, but there's something behind that. Um, I think if there is a consumer who has a question or is confused about nutrition and dietary information, speaking with a nutritionist or a dietitian is one of the best ways to make sure you're getting the correct information. Um, if you go online and read an article, you never know what you're going to find, depending on where it's coming from. So, Well, I mean, I have to ask you, and just on a personal basis, mm -hmm. are there articles that you read or news that you hear or research that you hear about that confuses you is like what are they thinking yes because you know if i if i have a, a customer a, you know a client coming in and asking me a question um, making sure you find a reliable resource is very valuable because you know i'll pull up an article and sure it could convince me that something is really healthy even though it might not be um, just by the way it's written by the way um, they pull the research, but you know it, it's definitely a give or take. And um, I would say if you're looking at more um, research-based articles, so a .org website, you know, an American Heart Association or something like that, where it's coming from an association or a research-based company. Um, the Academy of Nutrition has a lot of good articles as well. Something you said a few minutes ago that I find interesting. Uh, you said that one of the things that uh, the feds take into consideration is public input. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that along with public input, something else they hear from are the different lobbying groups or the different industries. Beef Council, for example, uh, egg producers, uh, you know, any of these products that are, 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 you know, are on the list. Is that part of it? Do they have any kind of pull in this? Um, there's definitely controversial knowledge about that. I would say they may have some um, input, but from what the guidelines are, you know, I know that there's a lot of controversy about eggs this year. Eggs. And, um, yes, exactly. So a lot of people are saying that the, you know, they're, they're eliminated from these guidelines. And actually, if you take a look down deep, they're not eliminated from the guidelines. The guidelines talk about um, limiting your portion sizes and controlling those portion sizes. So, you know, eggs have a lot of good nutrition as well as the cholesterol that, you know, they're getting the criticism from. So there's there's two sides to it, I think. Um, you just have to c control the amount that you're eating. So yes, I would say that there's some pull from lobbying groups, but the advisory committee, from what I have read and, you know, from the facts that I have, you know, heard, um, they do a pretty good job of keeping those undermined a little bit and rather than 
letting that come through to the surface of the guidelines. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. I want to talk more about eggs, by the way. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're joined for this portion of the program by Hillary Gillette, a registered dietitian nutritionist with Capital Blue Cross. We're talking about the federal dietary guidelines released last week that uh, did confuse some people and uh, left some people asking questions. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call if you have a question or a comment. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF Facebook page. Again, that's 1-800-729-7532. In fact, we have a question. I'll get back to eggs. But Susan in Elizabethtown has a question. I have to say, this is one that I also uh, thought about. Uh, she said, I was surprised last week when I heard the new guidelines because there has yet to be any specific reference to carbohydrates. My husband, a physician, is convinced that carbs need to be part of the conversation regarding diets and lifestyle if long-term health and weight changes are to be made. Your thoughts on that? I definitely agree with that. I think carbohydrates are a huge part of it. Um, so there's three different macronutrients. There's carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And our bodies need all three for, you know, the different things that our body does. Our bodies use carbohydrates for energy. Our bodies use protein for our immune system and muscle building and things like that. And um, fat is necessary for our brain function and our nervous system function. Um, so I think that carbohydrates are important, but they also, again, need to be um, monitored and not overconsumed. And it's about the choices of the carbohydrates that we choose. Um, so picking those nutrient-dense carbohydrates rather than the simple carbohydrates like candies and sodas and um, you know, pastries, things like that. So one of the guidelines talks about focusing on nutrient density, variety, and amount. So um, no, it doesn't exactly list carbohydrates in those in those guidelines, but it talks about the nutrient density and choosing the most bang for your buck, so to speak, in the food that you're choosing. So yeah, making sure that you're getting the right amount. As we go through uh, the next few minutes when we're talking on the air, I'm going to ask you what to avoid and what we should be eating, maybe, uh, you know, compare or what they say in the, in the guidelines. Okay, good carbs, bad carbs. What carbs should I avoid? What carbs are okay? Because as you say, we, we do need them. Mm -hmm. So carbohydrates are going to come from a variety of foods. They come from whole grains. They come from fruits. They come a little bit from vegetables, dairy, so yogurt and milk mainly are the carbohydrates. Cheese kind of counts more as a protein. Um, nuts and seeds. I'm sorry, not nuts and seeds, beans and legumes, um, things like that are all going to contain carbs. So those are going to be the more nutrient-dense carbs that you can get, something that's going to give you some protein, something that's going to give you lots of vitamins and minerals. But if you're choosing your carbohydrates from, you know, just plain pastas, white rice, white breads, pastries, candy, sodas, sugary beverages, those are going to be the carbohydrates that we need to kind of eliminate. And um, not necessarily eliminate completely, but control and moderation and make sure we don't overconsume because that's going to fill us up really quickly, but it doesn't give us a whole lot of nutrients to go with it. Moderation is one of the key words that uh, we're going to be using here today, correct? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Almost anything. You yes. can eat almost anything you want, right? As long as you do it in moderation. Exactly. And, and, and your portion sizes and all that. Exactly. Right. Okay. Speaking of proteins, Brooke in Harrisburg has a question about that. Brooke, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Hey, thank you so much for taking my call. I listen to you every single day. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> my question is, is, are we starting to get this protein trend under control? 
I'm an endurance athlete, and I coach um, just sort of all levels of people in endurance sports. And I find that they think that they need 90 to 100 to 200 grams of protein a day because of the way that protein is pushed through bars, shakes, whatever. Are we starting to kind of see that that's sort of taking the backside of the trend at this point? As far as being overconsumed, is that what you're asking? Yeah, I think that protein is overconsumed by so many people because it's so heavily marketed, especially towards athletes. Um, and that's concerning to me as an athlete and coach because, you know, that has a lot to do with overtaxing your kidneys. There's a lot of added sugar with those kind of things. So do you feel as though the whole protein push is sort of trying to, starting to take a backseat? Um, I would like to hope so. Um, I agree with you that, again, you know, you said the proteins, over overeating of proteins can actually, you know, very much stretch your kidneys and things like that. So I think um, the guidelines talk about, you know, making sure you have those lean proteins. Um, there's really no limit on the proteins that are, you know, listed in these guidelines. Um, but it does talk about making sure you get the variety of foods. So I would hope that in the next few years, as these guidelines are kind of looked at and nutrition education materials are being made, that it does talk more about the balance of all the nutrients, so carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Hey, Brooke, thank you very much for your call. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing new federal dietary guidelines. Our guest today is Hillary Gillette, a registered dietitian nutritionist with Capital Blue Cross. We welcome your questions and comments, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. I saw on the website that uh, you're actually your title is Health Guide. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. What's a health guide? So in our Capital Blue Retail store, we have a whole bunch of different health and wellness initiatives. So in addition to doing one-on-one nutrition appointments, um, my counterpart and I, who's a registered nurse, um, the two of us do health and wellness presentations in the store. We check blood pressure. Um, We'll do a blood pressure screening, a finger stick screening for blood sugar and cholesterol um, to, you know, help you to realize those numbers and monitor those. Um, And we do different other initiatives in the store like kids events and things like that will go oh, out to okay. schools so we i kind of do a little bit of i do a little more than just nutrition well we, and you had those initials behind your name though so yes. i wanted to make sure that yes. <laughs> we, we pointed that Thank out you. <laughs> uh, i'm gonna get back to eggs quickly because sure. we started a conversation about that egg whites versus the yolk okay where uh you know because i my wife for example says oh i'll, I'll have egg whites but i'm not going to eat the rest of the of the egg uh, one part healthier than the other? So the egg whites are going to contain less fat and cholesterol than the yolk. Um, the yolk is really, you know, when you're when you're thinking of people eating egg whites, yes, they're eliminating their eliminating most of the cholesterol and a lot of the fat that's in in those eggs. Um, however, the yolk also contains a lot of the nutrients. You're going to get some of the nutrients from the whites, but there's quite a few vitamins and minerals in that yolk as well. So they're they're a little bit different as far as how they're comprised, but um, depending on what you're looking for from the nutrients, I would say, you know, that's where you choose which piece you eat or if you eat both. Right. Uh, getting back to the guidelines, um, some of the basics were the same. That really didn't uh, confuse anyone here with uh, fruits and vegetables being recommended. How much should we be getting each day? For fruits and vegetables? Yes. I would say about depending on the amount of calories that you're eating every day, depending on the amount that your body needs, around two and a half cups of vegetables and around two cups of fruits. All right, give me an idea of what two cups 
you know, yeah. I'm a guy. I don't understand that. <laughs> so I would say as long as you're getting, um, you know, if you're looking at your plate, about half of your plate should be covered in fruits and vegetables at each meal. So, you know, if your dinner has a salad on half your plate and your, your lunch has an apple and some carrots, those are going to be, that's going to be about, you know, enough of, of that. Maybe some fruit with your breakfast, things like that. Okay. Um, are there some, and we do know this, I know they answer this question, but I'll get you to kind of be specific. There are some fruits and vegetables that are better than others. For example, corn is one that, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of starch there. And, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm eating corn. I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty well here. I'm eating a vegetable, but uh, it's probably not the best vegetable for you, correct? Correct. And actually, um, corn is a grain. It's not a vegetable, unlike most people think. See, I've learned something here today. <laughs> so, you know, if you think of, I always explain corn as, think of it as popcorn. When you pop corn, or to make popcorn, you're eating a grain. You wouldn't call that a vegetable. Um, so that's what happens when we um, cook that at a high temperature. When you're cooking corn, you know, steaming it in a pot, sure, it might be looking like a vegetable still, but it's actually a grain source. So yes, that is, you know, one of the less... Desirable. You, yes. Um, now, I would say whichever – I always tell people that whichever fruits and vegetables you're going to eat, if, you, if you're not going to eat it because you don't like it, then it's not going to be good for you, right, because you're not going to eat it very much. So I say, you know, just stick with a variety of colors, uh, making sure you get a whole bunch of different ones in throughout the week. Um, yes, there's some starchy vegetables like potatoes, peas, things like that that you have to be careful of how much you eat because those will contain a little bit more carbohydrates. But um, they also contain a lot of vitamins and minerals and water that are really good for our bodies. So if you're going to choose a baked potato over a white rice, I say go for it. Peas have carbs? They do. Oh. Again, there was another one I was eating. You know, I'm not a great big pea eater, but uh, I was thinking, oh, man, peas are good for me. <laughs> they definitely are. Okay. They definitely All are. All right. I'll stick with the peas then. <laughs> uh, what else? Oh, um, lean red meat. What are some sure. of the lean cuts and what are some of the red meats that uh, we should eat in moderation or that are not as good as the lean ones? Sure. So when you're looking at your meat choices, you want to look for the the kinds with the least amount of marbling or that shiny, you know, swirls of fat that you see throughout the meat. So so that good prime rib is one. Oh, that's that's nope, nope, nope. <laughs> that is um, actually the opposite end of the there's a scale. So prime is going to be the, the most tender typically, but it's also going to have the most amount of fat. Right. Whereas if you look at the opposite end of the scale, you have the select choices. And those are going to be the leanest. Um, they're going to be the best options for you as far as the, the amount of fat and cholesterol that they contain. Um, so if you're looking at things like a tenderloin, any, anything with the word loin in it, that's going to be one of the leanest cuts of meat. We had uh, Nick, who didn't want to stay on the line here, and I think he kind of addressed it this, uh, addressed this a little bit. Uh, heard that egg whites help uh, leach protein from the body. Any truth to it? I have not heard that myself, so I couldn't answer that question. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. We're going to have another phone call here in just a moment. Uh, let's go with Adam. Adam is in Clarksburg. Adam, you're on the air. Uh, hi. It's actually Parksburg. Park, Parksburg. Uh, you're calling <laughs> all the way from Parksburg. talking about nutrition on, on the radio. Oh, okay. Uh, but I just wanted to make everyone aware of that, not to confuse your listeners, but uh, that a meat-based 
lifestyle is not the answer, that a plant-based lifestyle is always the answer, and not just for nutrition, but the bigger picture, including the, the pollution in the world. Big agriculture is the biggest polluter in the world, and when people start understanding the effects, they uh, can start changing it. Hey, thank you very much for your call. So we reached into Chester County today. Uh, but when he, what he was talking about with plant-based diet, that is something that uh, is mentioned right off the bat in these dietary guidelines, right? It is. It is. So a plant-based diet is, um, you know, you can get a lot of proteins through plants as well as meats. So, you know, sometimes when, when we talk about limiting that protein or cutting back on our quantities of protein, or I'm sorry, cutting back on our quantities of meat, adding in those plant-based proteins in. So beans, nuts, seeds, things like that that are going to give you a lot of good protein. Um, replacing those instead of, you know, in place of your meat choices is going to give you the same amount of protein that you need, um, but giving you less cholesterol, less fat, things like that. These guidelines uh, really hit hard at, as hard as the guidelines can hit, uh, at sugar and salt, but sugar especially. Sure. What's changed with sugar? I mean, why are they uh, really uh, targeting sugar this time? So in the past, you know, couple years, few years, um, researchers are really looking at added sugars versus natural sugars. And, you know, something down the line that we may see is on the nutrition labels, you might see added sugars on there instead of just sugars as a whole, because people are picking up foods and thinking, okay, sugars are bad. This has eight grams of sugar. I'm not going to eat that. And where it's just completely plain Greek yogurt. Um, so what consumers need to know is that there's things called added sugars, which is coming from anything added into that food. Um, but foods also contain natural sugars, so fruits. Um, some grains have some sugars, and, and dairy has sugar. So, you know, you pick up that plain yogurt, as I mentioned, and it has eight grams of sugar. That's all natural. They're not adding anything into that. And those aren't the things we have to be afraid of. The things that our bodies don't digest quite as easily is the added sugars, the things that you see in candy, the things that you see in, you know, your flavored beverages and, you know, drinks that you order that have high calories. Um, those are the things that we have to be careful of with sugars. Okay, drinks. Mm -hmm. uh, I told you before, I have to have a Pepsi once a day. I have yep. cut down, but, uh, and I know I'm, a lot of people are the, are the same way. I hear so many people, oh, I'm, I'm drinking a Diet Coke. I'm in good shape. I'm drinking a Diet Coke. What about the two, the diet drinks versus the high test? Um, it's definitely personal preference. The diet drinks are going to have zero grams of sugar rather than, you know, 14 or whatever the size of the soda is that you're drinking. Um, however, it does have um, artificial sweeteners in it. So it's definitely personal preference on whether or not you want to in include those artificial sweeteners in your lifestyle. How much sugar should be we be getting each day? So the guidelines say that less than 10% of our calories should be coming from these added sugars. Um, it's gonna added sugars? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's going to depend on how many calories we eat every day, our weight, our height, all of those different things are going to change. So there's really no set recommendations for a number that we're looking at here, especially because it's hard to decipher that right now with the um, nutrition label still having it all lumped into one line that just says sugar mm. it does and that's that's part of the confusion i think uh 10 mm -hmm. i mean now i know there are pe probably people out there that and you may be one of them that uh, measures you know what uh, your diet is broken down to each day but how is the person who is just kind of trying to eat healthy watch what they eat 
maybe uh, looking to lose weight, how are they supposed to measure if 10% of their calories are coming from sugar? So something I read just yesterday, actually, was saying that um, if you are looking at 10% of your calories or less coming from this added sugar, um, if you go over that, you're not making room for all those extra nutrients and the nutrients that your body actually needs. But like you said, it can be complicated to kind of figure that out. Um, it's a lot of math, a lot of numbers. So I would say as long as you're making sure that you're looking for foods that have lower sugar, um, that's a better option. So making sure when you're looking at that ingredients list on the food, if you see keywords like cane sugar, um, refined sugars, things like that that are, you know, corn syrup, those are all going to be words that signify sugar um, in that food. So trying to eliminate, uh, not necessarily eliminate, but lower the quantities of the foods that we eat. Salt. Have those. Salt mm -hmm. is another one that uh, the guidelines uh, took aim at. Um, and again, many people think of salt of you know, grabbing the salt shaker, and that's what they put on their food during a meal. But what we're really talking about is the sodium that is added to processed food or prepackaged food, right? Certainly, certainly. So, um, you know, the guidelines are saying that 2,300 milligrams is the amount of sodium we should be having in a day or less. Um, now, if you're putting one teaspoon of salt on your food, that's 2,300 milligrams right there. And that's not, you know, in, including any of those processed foods that we're eating. So anything you pick up off a shelf that's in a box has some sort of salt or sodium in there to help preserve that food so that it stays fresh longer for you to eat. So just being cautious of the types of things we're choosing is going to be really important. Let's take a couple more phone calls. Larry is in Liverpool. Larry, you're on the air. Hey. I saw something uh, on the Internet that makes you go through this thing, and I didn't get to the end of it. But it tells you the five things you're going to be surprised about. And I grab a couple bananas every day. I have them, and it, uh, it says that that's really bad for the midsection of a middle-aged man. And uh, so I knocked them off for about two weeks, and I noticed a little bit of a of a drop in the uh, belly. And um, I do miss my bananas. I thought it was a great snack. You know, I have them uh, working outside and stuff. Damn, and, I eat bananas uh, every day. Too. My other thing was about water. Uh, intake. Um, I find in the winter I don't drink that much water, but I have my two pretty big sized cups of coffee during the day and maybe one at night. Does that count as water? Huh. That's it. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much for your call. But I, I, I've seen that on Facebook and other social media that when he was talking about the five foods that would surprise you. Yes. Is bananas one of them? I would say no. Um, okay. I think it's definitely about the quantity that you're eating. So if you're eating six bananas a day, that's, oh. that's too much fruit. You um, should be hanging in a tree if you're doing that. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but definitely making sure that you do get those. Bananas are great for you. They've got lots of good vitamins and minerals and water. So I would say make sure, you you know, if you like them, allow yourself to have them. Just don't overdo it. Other question he had, uh, I've heard this question very often, not just with coffee, but really almost any kind of beverage. Uh, there's water, obviously, in them, but, you know, you're told to drink a certain amount of water each day. Mm -hmm. Does it count in coffee or other drinks? So if your drink is... Um, also including caffeine, so sodas, coffee, things like that. Those actually can dehydrate you because they make you go to the bathroom a little bit more. Um, so if you're looking at trying to count drinks as part of your fluid intake, thinking of things like decaffeinated drinks, so herbal teas, um, water, sweetened water, you know, if you have those little 
flavor packets that you add to water. Those count towards your water consumption, but I would not count caffeinated drinks as, into that. Uh, and the question of moderation we, we mentioned is very, uh, very important in all of this. What about exercise? So exercise, you definitely want to make sure you're getting at least at least 30 minutes in a day, you know, three to five days a week, definitely something to work up to. Not, you know, if you're someone who doesn't exercise right now at all or very minimal, you don't want to jump right into that because number one, you're going to be exhausted and number two, your body's not going to know what to do. Um, so gradually working up to that. So 30, um, 30 minutes a day for five days a week or more is the, is the recommendation and the goal. Hillary Gillette is a registered dietitian nutritionist with Capital Blue Cross. She her title was a health guide, as you heard. Hillary enjoyed the conversation, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, our our listeners will try to learn more about uh, the guidelines that are out there. And we'll have to have you on the the program in the future because I know our audience uh, enjoys these kind of conversations. Yes, definitely. Thank you for having me. And also wanted to let you know that this segment was part of WITF's Transforming Health Project, covering health news and today's evolving healthcare landscape. Visit transforminghealth.org for more. Transforming Health is a partnership of WITF, Penn State Hershey Medical Center, and Wellspan Health. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. October 2nd, 2006 was a dark day in the history of central Pennsylvania. It also was probably the worst day in the life of our next guest. Terry Roberts' son Charles shot and killed five Amish schoolgirls near Nickel Mines, Lancaster County, before turning the gun on himself. The aftermath of that tragic day shocked the world when Amish, including family members of the victims, offered their forgiveness to the Roberts family. Terry Roberts wrote a book about her experiences called Forgiven. Terry Roberts is our guest during this segment of the program. Ms. Roberts, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Scott. And let me tell our listeners at home that uh, our original plan was to have uh, uh, Terry Roberts in our studio to uh, tell her story. But uh, you're going through some uh, health challenges of your own right now, aren't you? I truly am, yes. A diagnosis from 2002 that I lived through, and now in 2014 I was re-diagnosed. And just last month I just got really bad news. But I have lived a vibrant life in the midst um, you know, even through the trials that I've gone through. Well, so, yeah, yeah, just so that our audience knows, you've been diagnosed uh, stage four cancer, correct? That is correct. Right now I'm in stage four cancer, and yeah, it looks scary, but hey, you know, we'll see what the future holds. I've outlived all their other um, prognoses, so we'll see. <laughs> well, let's go back to that day that I mentioned uh, and, okay. and described it as uh, probably the worst day in your life, uh, October 2nd, 2006. Tell me yes. about your day. Okay, my day started out just like any other day, you know, and it was a gorgeous day. The sun was shining. I went off to work. Um, my friend and I were eating lunch on the patio where I work, and it was a beautiful day, and we heard sirens, and then we heard helicopters. It's like, wow, what is going on here? And uh, whenever I'm driving down the street and there's a, a, an ambulance goes by, I just say a short prayer. Lord, be with whoever needs this ambulance, be with the responders. So I did that that day and just returned to my conversation with my friend. But when lunch ended, I returned to my office and answered the phone call that forever changed my life. So it was my husband asking me to come to our son's home. And um, in that short drive, listening to the radio, I turned on the radio as soon as I got in the car. And before I got in the car, just leaving work, there was now a sense of real foreboding in me. All my husband said was, I need you to come to Charlie's house right away. So as I um, am driving that short distance to my son's home, I listen to the radio announcer speak of 
um, a shooting at a local Amish schoolhouse where children had been killed. And uh, the name of the perpetrator was given as Roy, which was an incorrect name. So immediately I started thinking, oh, my goodness, that's where Charlie parks his milk tanker truck, right by the school. What if he was coming home from a milk run and he was helping with a, a, a rescue or something? What if he was shot? What if he was killed? So there was no nothing in me that would provide any um, preparation for the news that I received when I pulled into my son's driveway and I looked at the state trooper and I said, is my son alive? And she, he said, no, ma'am. And I looked at my husband and with very dark, sunken eyes, just looked at him and said, it was, it was Charlie. And it was just, it, it was an out-of-body experience then after that because you just can't comprehend um, that the child that you, you know, nurtured and raised and and seemed to be this wonderful man that um, anything like this could possibly, possibly ever happen. So as I fell to the ground that day, I felt like everything inside of me would be expelled as I lay on the ground in his uh, yard and just started wailing. And so from there, um, some things did help change that, but it was, it was quite a shock to the system for someone that you knew did not have any idea, was having any kind of emotional problems or, you know, and seemed to be very contented and happy as a father and a husband. Well, let's talk a little bit about the phone call from your husband. He didn't tell you what was what had happened, that uh, yeah. there was something. I mean, did you, I would think that human nature, you would have asked, well, what's wrong? Why can't you tell me? I didn't. Just the tone of his voice was so grave. I mean, I never heard my husband. I, I don't even. I, I don't even know if I can explain the tone of his voice. But it was. It was like, I need. I, I answered the phone. And he said, "I said hello." He said, "I need you to come to Charlie's house right away," and that was all that he said. And I, you know, I just said, "I'll be there," you know. And I got in the car. I, I don't know. There was just something in the gravity of that that, the ten minutes wasn't going to change anything. But I needed to be there. Um, and um, yeah. When he, when your husband told you that it was Charlie, meaning yes. that uh, he was the one who had uh, uh, committed the crime, um, was it, you said that uh, it was hard to believe, but, I mean, what were the thoughts going through your mind? I mean, first of all, your emotions, as you said, you just went straight to the ground and was wailing. But yes. what, what thoughts were going through your mind? Just, this is unreal. I mean, how can... This can't be. And Charlie, he delivers milk to Amish families right here. You know, this, this can, or, or he picks up their milk, um, you know, for to take to the dairy. This, this can't be. This, my son, I had just seen my son the night before. Um, it just, it, it is just unreal. And like, it's like an out-of-body experience that you, you, you can't be thinking the thoughts that you're thinking because there's, it, nothing adds up. Two plus two does not equal four. In this situation, this man that we knew and everything about him, that just in those moments you're just reeling, and and I mean not really you're writhing in pain because all of a sudden you realize that there are many lives that have been changed forever from this day, and you have a son that's responsible for it, and it's um, I don't know how to describe it other than that. It's just that out of body thing that you just it, it's not reality. This this cannot possibly. Be happening. You mentioned that uh, Charlie, you were with Charlie the night before. The whole family was uh, together. Uh, how did he? Uh, I mean, what was his mood the night before when he was around? His mood was very quiet the night before, unusually quiet. Um, 
I mean, he was never an extrovert, you know, but he was um, he was extremely quiet that night. And I thought he looked, you know, very, I don't know, just quiet and, and down or something. But, you know, we were, Maria and I talked at the, the breakfast bar and, and he and his dad, you know, watched TV. And then, you know, he was outside playing with uh, his son, playing baseball, his four-year-old. And it's just um, then, you know, the evening came to an end. We had talked a little bit about my trip and he'd asked questions, but he did seem very quiet. And of course, in retrospect, now you say, why didn't I say, Charlie, is there anything wrong? But I had never seen him. It, it still didn't hit me that there was anything wrong. You know, he just I just thought he looked quiet that night. Just uh, so our audience knows, Marie is uh, was Charlie's wife. That's correct. And you, yes. you had just gotten back from a mission trip. Is that correct? That's correct. I had been in France for 10 days, yes, on a mm. missions trip. So yes. the rest of the day after you found out uh, about this, uh, how, what was the rest of the day like? Well, the rest of the day, my husband, he didn't lift his head all day. Um, it just kept wiping tears away. But our house was filled with family and friends just coming through to um, just try to give us some kind of comfort and consolation. And uh, my husband all day, just the tears kept flowing and flowing. And he used a dish towel to um, wipe those tears away. And um, he wiped his tears away so often that it actually wore the skin off of his forehead. There was like a little hole there. Um, that he just kept wiping away tears, wiping away tears. And he just didn't, he, he just had his head hung low all day and kept repeating, those poor people, those poor families will never be able to face our Amish neighbors again. And my husband had just retired from the police force a year prior to this. So um, in his retirement, what did he choose to do but to be an Amish taxi driver? So in this uh, ranting that he did all day of just, those poor people, he would say, you know, we can never face our Amish neighbors. We'll have to move far away. And um, he just was very down and, and very, I just never seen my husband like this. And so he was sitting at the breakfast counter, and late in the afternoon, a knock came on the door from Henry, our Amish neighbor across the street. And Henry's visit um, was the first real positive sign for my husband. And when he came in, he walked over to my husband, who was sitting with his elbows on the, the breakfast bar and his head hung down. And Henry just started massaging Chuck's shoulders and saying, Roberts, he always called him by his last name, says, Roberts, we love you. We don't hold anything against you. We want you as our neighbor. And then Chuck would go on and he'd say, you know, we have to move away. We can't stay here with you. And, and, um, and you know, repeat his um, words that he kept repeating all day and then Henry just kept pouring love on my husband you know just just words of comfort and um so eventually then uh after like 10 or 15 minutes I see my husband look up into Henry's eyes the first time for him to raise his head that day and he looks at him and he says thank you Henry and so in me I'm standing about six eight feet away from where they're talking and I couldn't hear the whole conversation but um it just made my spirit jump to think, wow, someday we will hear for, heal from this, the way he could look up into Henry's eyes then at the end of that uh, conversation and just thank him. It was like, wow, someday we will heal from this. It will take us a very long time. But I call Henry my angel in black because, to me, he was the first sign of hope that day. So, you know, there has been a great deal of attention to uh, the Amish forgiving uh, Charlie, 
Um, yes. uh, you know, your part, your family, part of it, uh, a yes. lot of forgiveness. That you, in fact, the, the book that, that you wrote called Forgiven was mm-hmm. Henry really the first sign that uh, that the first time that day that you realized that the the Amish community, that the Amish people, the lives that had been touched, these families that had been touched, that somehow they would find a way to forgive. Well, I know the history of Amish. I mean, I know of, you know, a, a man that went to our church one time that killed, uh, you know, a, with an accident, um, had hit an Amish woman and how they reached out to him. And I had heard stories of that before. So um, the whole Amish forgiveness, I mean, you, I mean, you know that that's part of their lives. It's, it's what they live. They live the Lord's Prayer. You know, forgiven, you will be forgiven. And um, <clears throat> so in that... The idea of Henry, his acceptance and his um, words of forgiveness, I mean, they were a surprise that day, but not in a surprise in that that is what their culture does, but in a surprise in the way that any other time you hear any of these situations, that's not what you're hearing usually. Um, So we were greatly blessed by the response of the Amish community, and Henry truly was the first sign that day of that forgiveness. You wrote and you've said that uh, you had a hard time forgiving your son. Yes. I mean, you just think of what he had done to these lives, how many people's lives were affected and um, and continue to be affected. It's, um, yeah, it, 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 you know, like I laid in bed the one night and I thought, wow, they're forgiving. Am I forgiving Charlie? Can I forgive Charlie for what he has done? And wow, and then it just kind of came to me, you know, what if I chose not to forgive my son? I would have the same kind of a hole in my heart that he talked about in his suicide notes, that he, um, he, was, he was angry, he was bitter against God. And I thought, wow, I can't do that. I must forgive. You know, I must choose to forgive Charlie because otherwise I would have... Um, something worse than cancer in my body, um, because to me, holding unforgiveness for anyone is worse than any cancer that we would ever have to go through, because it grabs hold and it keeps taking us inward, and it doesn't do anything to help us move forward. Terry, I have to admit, uh, I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you talk about this like this. It's, it must be difficult. It is difficult, and then I thought, well, I wrote, I'll write a book, and then I don't have to talk about it so much anymore. But it seems like I do, you know, um, in being able to share with people. Um, I mean, I'm so glad that I lived to, to put the book out, you know, because a year ago they didn't think I'd be around for this book to be released. Um, but I, I really, I'm able to do it because, I mean, God's grace is sufficient no matter what. But for me, it became as I shared my story with other people going through horrific situations, and I could see it give hope to them, it was like, wow, this is something I will continue to do. Now, I know my life's got to look different now than it did even a year ago because of this re-diagnosis thing, but um, being able to share this, I mean, just this week, I I shared with a mother of a very high-profile case that was really struggling, and heard about my book, and now we share, you know, and she's actually going to come and visit me so we can spend some time together. And um, knowing that my own experience, and I think with any of us in this world, 
our own experiences, when we choose to move forward, we can help others move forward in their lives. And I think when we have something so deep and dark inside and we're able to share it, not everybody can. I mean, you're not going to see my husband on a stage sharing unless by some miracle. But, um, you know, not everybody can go out there and share their stories and their hearts. But when we do, it brings a great release also of knowing that God is using what has happened in these circumstances in a very positive way of helping other people move forward in their lives and bringing joy back into our lives. And that is what we've seen in the Amish community. Wow, they have joy. I mean, Rosanna is still tube-fed and in a wheelchair. And who came to visit me in December, this past December, when I came home from the hospital? Rosanna came to visit me at my home. I go to visit her every week, um, but not now since I'm going through this health challenge. But for eight years, I've been visiting Rosanna weekly, and now she came to visit me. So um, a, a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of, of heart of knowing that no matter how dark our darkest day is, there is a future. And if I can keep sharing that message, I guess I'll do that till the day I die, because um, that is something that I keep getting positive response from, from those, uh, from the lives that are able to be touched through what we have gone through. Well, you mentioned Rosanna, and that's something that I did want to talk about. Is yes. Rosanna was uh, one She of, was the most injured of the children. So right, five lived. have died. Four have um, healed very well. Two of them are now married, and uh, we even have a baby. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so life has gone forward for most of the girls, and um, I used to have teas for all of them, and um, and then as they, you know, were getting married and getting jobs, then we kind of stopped doing that yearly. But Rosanna is someone that what, when I had a tea in my home with the mothers um, one year after, I asked if I could spend time with Rosanna if that would be helpful. And her mother and uh, her dad invited me into their home, and so I would go there and rock her and read to her and sing to her. I can't uh, hold her and rock her anymore. She's now 15, a beautiful young woman, but she is still tube-fed and in a wheelchair. So the relationships that I have built, and especially with Rosanna's family, has been precious beyond words. And it has blessed me. Has it been challenging? Yes. Um, and I'm sure it's been challenging for them having me come into their home. And yet we walk towards the challenges and we meet a new day with what it holds. And opening up hearts and being willing to do that brings great healing in our lives. You said a few minutes ago, and I, if, if I didn't hear you correctly, just tell me, but you said we now have a baby. We oh, now well, have a baby. Well, when I say we just, the Amish friends, you know, like um, her mother came to visit me the other day. I haven't gotten to see this new baby now, but you know, it would be the first one born to one of the um, kids from the schoolhouse that day, you know. Um, so it's now nine years later, and, you know, of course, they've all, they're all out of school. But um, the one young girl and her husband got married last year, and they just recently had a baby. But when you, I guess what caught my attention is you said we... Uh, Almost well, like you're a member of the family. Well, not a member of the family. I, I don't know. I guess maybe my verbiage there wasn't very good in stating it that way. Um, in fact, actually, when I said we, I thought, well, I shouldn't have said it that way, but didn't correct myself. But just um, know that the friendship that I have almost makes me feel sometimes like I'm part family with them um, because we have 
come so close. But no, I am not family, so I, I shouldn't have used that term probably. But I do feel a real closeness to all the families and just such a joy, yes. Are there members of, of, of families out there that uh, maybe haven't warmed up? Oh, not of the ones, not of any of the ones that were in the, the children of the schoolhouse that day. I mean, they have been from year one, when we had a picnic in our backyard, every single family member showed up in our yard in a yellow school bus. And in December, after Rosanna's first visit, they all came back um, in a yellow school bus again to sing me Christmas carols this year outside my home. But I made them all come into my sunroom. You know? So, um, no, they have all. Every every parent, I can't speak for all the children of you know if they've all um, if they all feel real accepting. I have never felt an ounce of rejection from any of these families. Um, they have been so warm, um, you know, from when my husband and I first started visiting them back that first January. They have shown nothing but warmth, and they will all admit that there have been times that it's been hard. Um, but they, you know, they came to hear me speak after, at the five-year reunion when I spoke at Etown College. Every family showed up to support me. It was like, wow, thank you, Lord. These families are genuine. Their hearts are genuine. And what they walk through is not easy. And, yes, I mean, some of them still have some injuries that, that need tended to once in a while. And the emotional part, sure, you can go back. I mean, that can last a lifetime, you know, um, but I just, I just see such uh, a desire for um, the communications that we continue to have. And, I, I mean, I could just go on and on for hours, but well, Terry, our interaction, yeah. so they've been wonderful. Terry, we only have about 90 seconds left, okay. and I want to thank you very much. But, you know, one of the big questions that uh, I'm sure you're asked is why. Why did Charlie do this? And is there advice that you can give other people who, uh, you know, that maybe can prevent something, a tragedy like this? And I hate to make you do it in 90 seconds, but if you could. Okay. Why did he do this? I mean, I do believe that what he stated in his uh, suicide notes, that he was angry with God over the loss of his first daughter. I think he internalized something psychotic in his mind of, of something that he was to be punished for and God took this daughter makes no sense at all um, in my mind or in the mind of sane people. And yet um, it does seem that that is what drove him to a sickness inside that we were not aware that he had. And as far as um, what can we do to stop these things from ha happening, it hurts my heart every time I hear of another one of these shootings becoming much too common. Um, but, uh, you know, just... I don't know for anyone, talk to people, talk to people and say, hey, how are you? But try to get more genuine than the weather or a TV show. You know, talk to people about how, how are you doing? What, is there anything I can do to I pray for? Is there any way I can pray for you? Or like show a genuine interest in people. Um, I think there's an awful lot of hurting people. Charlie was loved, though. He was loved and, and people cared. Um, I don't know what could have been different to keep my son from doing what he did other than if we could have recognized and um, drawn him out in some way. Um, 
but wow, whenever there's any signs, don't ignore them. Um, hey, Terry, uh, yes. your, your website, what is your website so people Joy can... Joythroughadversity.com. Terry Roberts, I wish we had more time. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. Tomorrow, we're live from the Farm Show.